was a wonderful item at the start of today. I just felt so, so moved. Uh, I love that song, that in the midst of all that is going on, we can still say, it is well with my soul. It is well. God speaks into our soul. God speaks into who we are. God is not an add-on to our lives, but is a central part of who we are. And over the series, as we've talked about being baptized in the Spirit, uh, I hope that I've already been able to unpack for everyone that what we are doing is, is we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit as something that's like, oh, that would be cool to have. Oh, that would be something nice. But really, I hope that you've seen that this is an essential part of our Christianity. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, we don't really have Christianity. We have some kind of Old Testament Judaism in, in that kind of a way. The Holy Spirit is what brings the life of the kingdom to us. And so uh, last two weeks, we spoke about how repentance takes us to the gate of the kingdom, but it's the Spirit that brings us the life of the kingdom. If all you're thinking about is the forgiveness of sins, then you are missing out on the meat, on the real substance of the kingdom. The real substance of the kingdom comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. And I think that is just so wonderful. And the more that we value the work of the Holy Spirit, the more I believe that our lives are going to be impacted and transformed, and we're going to experience a newness that God has for us. But today, I want to focus in on this. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? We talk about the Spirit being the life of the kingdom, but is it just about feeling goosebumps down our back? Is it about um, uh, falling down in the presence of God? Is it rolling on the floor laughing in the presence of the Lord, as you know, maybe some of us at some stage in our lives have seen? I I've seen a fair bit. I've been around for a while. I love the revival, Holy Spirit type stuff uh, that I have seen, and I wish that we could see more of it. But is that the work of the Holy Spirit? And in Pentecostalism, we do have uh, a, a very... A central idea around the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit brings us power. Acts 1.8, very famous verse that we talk about and I've used many times where Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. So is the work of the Holy Spirit power? Is it? Is that what the Holy Spirit does? Is that the only way, is that the best way, is that the complete work of the Holy Spirit? And as I thought about this, um, what came to mind is that in Pentecostalism, we talk about the power of the Spirit, and then we talk about the importance that the Holy Spirit enables us to do things, right? You know, Holy Spirit, what's the, what's the point of power? The, power? the point of power is that power enables you to do something. There's no point having a power and then you do nothing with it. Power necessarily means action. Something happens from there. And so what I was thinking about is a couple of verses came to mind. In John 15 verse 8, uh, Jesus says this to his disciples, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Right? And then also in Luke chapter 6, 43 to 44, Jesus also says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And so in Pentecostalism, which, you know, I'm a true blue Pentecostalism, Pentecostalist, Pentecostalist. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a true blue Pentecostal. I'm ordained in a Pentecostal movement. And I love Pentecostalism. However, one of the things that I notice about how we use these couple of verses that we've just read with Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is that the work of the Spirit enables us to be effective and productive and successful in works, which I do believe is somewhat true. But I also have started to wonder if that is a little bit skewed, if this is what this is all about. You see, over the last few years, there have been a number of scandals and a number of um, things that have been uncovered about the global church and things that have happened. And one of the things that have been very scary is that there have been pastors and leaders that have used this idea of authority and power and misused it, and misuse it using the justification that their ministry is fruitful. What does it mean by the ministry is fruitful? We have more people coming, we have more baptisms, we have more uh, ministries, we have more this, we have more this, we have more this, we, have, we, we are growing, we are, uh, uh, you know, there was this particular uh, podcast that I was listening to about a, a church that I actually followed their teaching for many years because I thought it was very solid teaching and I had stopped after a while because I felt like something was shifting and changing. See, the senior pastor, when he was in the early ministry, uh, uh, early, early days in his ministry, he said, I never want to be a big church. I never want to be a big church because I never want to not be in touch with people. I think that being in a large church would mean that you know, I get caught up in all of these other things. However, his ministry started to grow and more and more people came and his ministry got so large. And then in this podcast, they were interviewing staff members and they were talking about all these different things that were going on. And this pastor, something shifted in his heart because of the success of his ministry. They talked about how he went on these um, uh, um, video uh, filming trips about filming his um, uh, teaching on site in different places and how he got his whole camera crew in a nice, not really, little motel while he stayed in a five-star resort. Why? Because he was the man of God who was anointed by God. Everyone was coming to the church because of his teaching and anointing and the success that was on his life. He made terrible decisions about who to hire and fire based on his personal preferences. Why? Because he was allowed to, because he was fruitful, and therefore the power of God, the presence of God rested with him. And I know other stories like this. I sit around a table in our exec where on occasion, praise the Lord, not too often, but on occasion, there are stories about pastors who think that they are able and are justified in making terrible decisions that impact and destroy people's lives because they think that they have the power of the Holy Spirit because they have been fruitful. Is fruitfulness about success? Are we talking about the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us so that we will see external results? Is that what we are talking about? When we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, are we just talking about you know, fruitfulness being 
many people coming to Christ because of me. Is that the crux of the kingdom message? And let me just say, I think that that, that plays a part, and we're going to come round to this. Remember when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, how many people got added to the kingdom that day? 5,000. However, there was only one more occasion where it talked about mass people coming to Christ, and that was when Peter and John went to the temple and they healed this crippled person and then they preached. But notice that there were diminishing returns. How many people got saved that day? 3,000. Did that mean that there was less of the Holy Spirit moving that day because it went from 5,000 to 3,000? Are we meant to be results-based in what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives? I started really reading into this um, whole topic a little uh, in preparing for this, and something really stuck out to me, and it's been on my heart for a while. And let's focus on Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 29 for the rest of this morning. And this is what it says. Paul writes this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you uh, um, from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. Now I feel like when we read a list like this, right, we kind of go, that's not really like me. I don't participate in orgies. I mean, it, there is a psychological thing that the last thing on the list, you think about that. I've never been in an orgy before. I am not a person of the flesh. But when we look at what Paul is saying, is basically any desire that is not from the kingdom. Any desire that ruins relationships with other people. Any kind of desire that takes me away from the purposes of God. And this can just be selfish desires. I want to be comfortable. That person has a nice car and I deserve a nice car. That is a work of the flesh. That is opposed to the spirit. I want to have a nice big bank account so that I can retire and have a nice life for myself because I deserve it. That can be. Can be, I'm not saying that, that is necessarily. But if that is not a kingdom purpose for you, that kind of thinking is a fleshly thinking. Look at that. There is enmity, there is jealousy, there is fits of anger. There are rivalries, there's dissension and division, there's envy. All of those things I've experienced, I've felt, I have pursued. Because... This is what this is about. There is the spirit and there is the flesh. And so Paul is saying that we need to walk by the spirit. The baptism in the spirit is about being so filled uh, with the spirit that that becomes our core focus. So he goes on to say that when we have been baptized in the Spirit, and the Spirit is at work in our lives, this is what will happen. Sorry, I need to continue. It says drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, notice, 
those that do such things, those behaviors, the kind of life that you're living, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is really important. What does the Spirit bring us? The life of the kingdom. We've said this before. The Spirit brings us the life of the kingdom. So when we are living in the flesh, we are actually pushing out the Spirit in our lives. We are not experiencing the life of the kingdom. We are not inheriting the life of the kingdom. Church, this is necessary. You can say the sinner's prayer. You can ask for forgiveness. But if your lifestyle is still according to the flesh, you will not experience the life of the kingdom. It's gone very quiet this morning. <laughs> because this is actually, I think, a part of the problem in some of the skewedness of our theology. When we think about the outsideness of the power of the Spirit, we forget that the Spirit firstly resides in us and does something inside. And so verse 22, this is what Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. When I look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, there is one thing that I did not see in that list. And that is power. It's not results. It doesn't say love, joy, peace, effectiveness at evangelism, seeing multiple people saved and baptizing everyone with your spit as you preach profusely at people. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And you know what? Lame stuff. Anyone with me? You know, it's a nice little thing on the wall that I want to live a life of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. But how often do I actually evaluate whether that's the fruit of my life? I evaluate my life often by how many people have I brought to Christ? How many people have I prayed for? How many prophetic words have I given? You know, how many messages have I given where people have stood up and go, Nate, well done, you are walking by the Spirit, but no one ever commends me for the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control that I have. Maybe it's because our culture is skewed to certain things, and we have let go of things that are equally important. See, as I started to look into this, and the word fruit is used here. I believe that this word fruit here is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Now, by your fruit shall you be known. By your fruit shall you be known. What fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. Your character, the person you are, 
becoming is far more an indication of the work of the Spirit than the works of your hands. Good tree bears good fruit. Spirit tree bears spirit fruit. If I am baptized in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness becomes a natural outflowing of who I am in Christ. If I have been baptized in the Spirit, I will keep step with the Spirit, which will bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this kind of, when I was reading this, I was like, it's a bit boring. <laughs> and it feels a bit like, I don't know where to go with this. How do I love more? How do I peace more? How do I joy more? You see, Jesus says that I'm supposed to be bearing much fruit. That means that there needs to be increasing amounts of fruit in my life, which means I need to love more, joy more, peace more, kind more, gentle more. And I'm like, how? And as I was studying this, a word came to me, as, I was, as a theologian used this, and I've never seen the baptism of the Spirit in this light before. And this is actually what the ancient church for many years have taught, but Pentecostalism has put aside a little bit. And that is the word sanctification. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he justified us. He made us righteous with God. We now have right standing. We now have right relationship with God. We are justified, which means that we don't have to worry that we are sinners in God's presence. However, justification then leads to a second process that we need to be a part of, which is known as sanctification. Sanctification, if you will, in a biblical sense, is about becoming more holy. In other words, it's becoming more like God, becoming more like Christ. And the sanctification process is equally necessary to the justification process. In fact, theologians will point out that the Bible seems to indicate that if you are not becoming more sanctified, you really haven't been justified. Because which person would say, I want to go to the kingdom, you step to the gates of the kingdom and say, that life is too hard, and walk away. Is that really repentance? Or are you repenting of your repentance after it looks like it's too hard? We come to the kingdom and we say, this is where life is. And then now we are taught to participate and to be brought into that life, which is what sanctification is all about. So the work of the Holy Spirit is actually sanctification. The work of the Spirit is to bring us more in alignment with the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom. It means that I'm beginning to think more about the kingdom, desire more of the kingdom, love more of the kingdom, and hate more of the works of the flesh. Not just the orgies, but the jealousy and the envy and the fits of rage and the division and the selfishness. Those things, when the Spirit is at work in me, 
I should begin to hate because he's bringing up new desires in me for the things of the kingdom. And as I desire more of the kingdom and live out the life of the kingdom, I find myself loving more, having peace, having joy. I don't get to stand with one foot in the world enjoying or participating in some of the works of the flesh and some of the works of the spirit. This is one of the things that the Bible makes very clear. This is the thing that Paul makes very clear. He says that the life of the flesh opposes, is in opposition with the kingdom, with the spirit. And the life of the spirit is in opposition with the flesh. And some of you might have experienced this tension in your life. All of us would probably have experienced a tension in our lives. Why? Because the flesh is still at work and we need to crucify our flesh daily. And in the same way, we need to open ourselves to the Spirit daily because the Spirit is sanctifying us. One theologian defines sanctification this way. That gracious operation of the Holy Spirit involving our responsible participation by which he delivers us from the pollution of sin, renews our entire nature according to the image of God, and enables us to live lives that are pleasing to him. Sanctification is that gracious operation of the Holy Spirit, which is a very important word. It's gracious because we don't deserve it. It's gracious because this is a gift from God. Sometimes we think of sanctification as a work that God is imposing on me because he needs me to clean me up. Anyone think of it that way? It's like, oh man, God's revealed another you know, black spot in my life and he's OCD. <laughs> and he's like, clean that up, fella. Rather than think of it as a gracious gift of God saying that stain will ruin your life. That stain will bring strife, will bring anxiety, will bring worry, will bring depression, will bring discontentment, will bring pain, will bring suffering, will cause you pain in relationships, pain in your daily life. That stain needs to be removed because God graciously is calling us into a new life. The new life that is, as, this, uh, as Anthony Hokoma says, is a nature according to the image of God. As we responsibly participate. So this is a, you know, justification is, is by God's work. But sanctification is a gracious work of the Holy Spirit with my responsible participation. You see, Paul tells us that we need to choose to live by the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is a participation, is a cooperation, is a collaboration where the Holy Spirit holds our hand and brings us into this new life. And it delivers us from the pollution of sin and brings us back to the design of God, 
was the design of God that we have been created in the image of God. We are carrying the image of God, the Imago Day, that we are meant to look different to how the world perceives and talks about humanity. This is necessary and it enables us to live lives that are pleasing to Him. And this is a problem that we have in our Western culture that I don't live for the pleasure of God, but I live for my pleasure. And I think that my pleasure is what is important. Sanctification turns that on its head and says that the pleasure that you seek is empty and brings you nothing. But the pleasure of God brings me love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. See, this is where I think the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. That the life that I'm living that is pleasing to God is a life that actually desires others to come into the kingdom of God. And so God empowers me to be a person, a witness for him. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey my commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are meant to bring people into the kingdom. That is a life that is pleasing to God. And that's where the power comes in. And, and, and this is what I love about it as I've been researching this is that maybe a part of this, this whole idea of evangelizing and being a witness for God is the sanctification of my vocation. It's me realizing that I'm not working for myself. I'm not working for a paycheck. I'm not working to have a livelihood. I'm working for the kingdom. And I happen to be a teacher and an engineer, a lawyer, a, a teacher. Have I mentioned teacher already? Uh, a parent. Uh, this, I happen to do all of those things. But my primary vocation, my primary desire is the kingdom of God. And as I am sanctified in my vocation... I am actually enabled to be effective in my evangelism and discipleship. When I started to see in that way, I started to realize that too often I place so much weight on what I am doing. And I haven't been placing enough weight on who I am becoming. Because when I become more like the design, the design of Christ that he has for me, he knit me together in my mother's womb. He has placed good works and he's prepared me beforehand to do. When I fulfill the design of God, when I become more like the design of God, I will be empowered. I will do good works. I will reach people. I will bring people to Christ. I will see all of those things happen. But that is with the sanctification of my vocation. Let me just give you one last little tidbit because I thought it was just really fascinating. This author then goes on to say, Frank Macchia, who's actually a, a leading Pentecostal theologian, he says the whole tongues thing. What about the tongues thing? And he said, maybe the tongues thing is a sanctification of our tongue. Because when I am speaking in the language of the Spirit, I'm not saying any dumb things. I'm not praying dumb things. 
I can't pray selfish when I'm praying in the Spirit. So maybe the work of the Holy Spirit is the sanctification of all of me. From my mind to my tongue, to my heart's desires, to my emotions. And maybe if we as a church partnered more with the Holy Spirit in responsible participation, something is going to happen. See, the Spirit isn't an add-on to me. The Spirit is essential to me becoming me. But the Spirit is going to challenge me. And the Spirit is going to highlight things in me. When your conscience begins to prick about how you are living your life, I think that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in you. Saying that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition right now and you have to choose. When was the last time you took a moment to evaluate your life? When was the last time you did a heart check? When was the last time you asked yourself, am I loving like how God would love? Here's another question. I'll post this up on our socials so you can see it. This is based on the um, fruit of the Spirit. Do I have joy and peace in the midst of suffering? See, when it talks about joy and peace, it's not just like, I'm such a happy, contented person. No, no, no. It actually always connotates suffering. Who are you in the middle of suffering? I love that in the Proverbs it actually says, that if you fall apart in the middle of a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. It's in the Bible. I'm not saying that you are lousy. The Bible did. But the Bible is also saying that if you allow the Holy Spirit in, in the midst of great suffering, I've got joy. In the midst of great suffering, I've got peace. Why? Not because I am so good, but it's because I participated with the Holy Spirit and He has focused me on what is important and what is good and what is the life of the kingdom. Next question, am I long-suffering or patient? Yes, suffering again. So much suffering. Now, the picture of long-suffering, the word picture in Greek, is a candle with a very long wick. It's a candle that... You know, you look at it and it's still going. You come back three hours later, it's still going. And then you come back the next day and it's still going. It's still burning. It's still got fuel. It's still, you know, got something in it that allows it to continue to keep going. Do you have that kind of patience or long-suffering? Or do you give up in the middle of... A difficult time? Do you continue to choose the things of God when it's difficult to choose it? Or after a while, I said, you know what, I'm going to satisfy myself next time. It's another, this is a good check. It says, next one, am I kind to others? Do I consider others more than I consider myself? That's what kindness is all about. Do I Consider others. Are others important to me? Am I good to others? Goodness, that's a good one. Which says, do I work for other people's benefit? And am I generous 
That's what goodness is all about. This generous life that we spoke about today. And the next one, faithfulness, specifically to the things of God. When the Bible uses the word faithful, it's always to his covenant. So God has made a covenant with us. But am I living according to his covenant? That's my faithfulness. Am I becoming more faithful to the things of God? If you're building your own career without God in mind, you are not being faithful to the things of God. But if you go, you know what, my career, whatever I'm pursuing, I'm subjecting that to the covenant that I have with God, to the kingdom of God, fantastic. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a career. I'm not saying that you go to a mountain and say kumbaya the whole day. Because that's not what God is calling us to. God's calling us to be effective in the marketplace. God's calling us to be effective in our families, in, in our friendship circles, in the world. How are we meant to go and make disciples if we're on a mountain where no one lives? Are you discipling goats? God's called us to meet with people. But when we meet with people, are we more concerned about becoming like them or are we more concerned with them becoming like us? Because I'm faithful. I'm meant to be faithful to my covenant with God. That is the most important frame that I consider all of my life. Here's a couple of hard ones. Am I regulating my emotions well? Because that's the connotation of meekness or gentleness based on the translation. Some people say, are you meek? So Jesus is meek. Being meek isn't like weak. That's a different word. They sound the same, but weak and meek are not the same thing. Meek means I am in full control of my emotions. You can't make me angry. You can't make me jealous. You can't make me envious. You can't make me offended. Because I'm meek. Meek is strong. Meek is understanding what is going on in my heart and subjecting what I'm feeling to what God is wanting. So am I regulating my emotions well? And finally, am I self-controlled? Do I think the things that God wants me to think? Do I do the things that God wants me to do? See, when we take the list of fruit that is found in Galatians 6, it changes the goalposts of our lives. When you think about, you know, we're coming towards the end of the year and we often evaluate where things are at and what we're wanting to do. Are the things that you're doing and preparing to do and preparing to pursue, is that based on the life of the Spirit? Or is that based on your flesh? When we talk about being baptized in the Spirit, the word baptized means to be so immersed that something inside of me fundamentally changes. Have I subjected my desires to God? Or have my desires pushed down or even away the things of God? By your fruit, will you be known? This is how you glorify my Father, that you bear much fruit. My prayer is that our church becomes more loving, becomes more joyful, more peaceful, more long-suffering, more kind, more good, more faithful, more meek, more self-controlled.
Do I want more people in this church? Yes, but not at the cost of being bigger people. Never at the cost of being bigger people. You know, COVID has caused a lot of us, myself included, to do things in a way that is comfortable for myself. This works for me. If the government won't work for me, I will work for me. It's insidious, it's subtle. But I've found that there are some things in me that I'm struggling to actually sometimes do the things that pre-COVID I would do. I think it's because I felt the necessary urgent, no, I don't know if I want to say that, but I felt the need to protect myself. But as I look at this and the fruit of the Spirit, I realize that self-protection is not a fruit of the Spirit. Self-protection is a fruit of the flesh. And I realized that in the midst of all the chaos, quite often we want to build our little homes that we control and feel safe in. And I sense that the Holy Spirit is saying to me and saying to our church that people who live by the Spirit trust the Spirit. Trust that God is at work. You don't need to take that job. You don't need to have that relationship. You don't need to have that lifestyle. You don't need to have whatever that is. If that is taking you away from God. If that is going to take you away from God's heart and God's desire and God's kingdom. But when I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to me. Do I trust that promise of God? Do I? Honestly, sometimes no. I want different. And I realize that I want different often because... I think that the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in my life would look different externally. I will have more fruit rather than I will bear more fruit. God's not so concerned about this fruit. He's concerned with the state of my soul, the desires of my heart, I pray that this is a message that isn't condemning because I've been evaluating myself based on this. When I've been like, oh, what is love all about? What is joy all about? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Nate's not looking very good. Fruit's looking a little bit small at the moment. You know, this hurts. It hurts when I read some of these questions I'm asking you and myself, because I'm not, I don't think I'm doing that well. But you know what I'm hurting? I'm hurting my flesh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm crucifying my flesh. Yeah. 
I'm saying you don't have a part to play in my life. You don't have a part to play in kingdom life. You're not going to dictate to me whether I'm generous or not. You're not going to dictate to me whether I'm loving or not. You're not going to dictate to me whether I am going to be kind and good. You're not going to dictate to me whether I can be faithful to God or not. And so I look at this and I go, God, help. Help me. I want to bear fruit for you. I want to be who you've called me to be. See, the power will come. When you're healthy in your soul. The outside fruitfulness will take care of itself when I'm a tree that can be trusted with the things of God. Can I ask the band to come up? You know, when we sing songs like You Call Me Out to Wilder Waters, I'm Not Afraid With You, quite often I think about situations like, God, you're calling me to go to that place and to speak your gospel over there, and, you know, that's wilder waters, that's scary. But I've learned that the scariest thing is going inside. Oh, you're calling me out to wilder waters where my trust isn't in myself, isn't in my works, but is in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, my prayer and my challenge to you is to evaluate yourself. But in this moment as a church, can we commit ourselves to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to allow His voice to be the primary voice in our lives, that our vocation, our lives are brought around what God is wanting rather than what I am desiring. Can we stand this morning, church? Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you speak to each and every one of our hearts. That God, that you are doing a sanctifying work in us. You are sanctifying our minds. You're sanctifying our hearts. You're sanctifying our thoughts. You're sanctifying our emotions. You're sanctifying our vocations. You're sanctifying our mouths and how we speak. God, work in us. Work in us. Holy Spirit, help us to walk in step with you. We thank you that you're already here with us. And I pray to God, that we would be responsibly partnered with you in every single day, in every single decision that we are making in our lives. I thank you, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Our band is going to lead us in a song. And if you feel like you just want to stay in God's presence and allow Him to speak, do that. If you want prayer, you can come out and we can pray for you. But don't leave here until there's a sense that you know that you are beginning or in the middle of this heart check process. Let 2023 be a year that us as a church are fully focused on what God is wanting to do in our lives and through our lives. Allow the flesh to be crucified and to wither and die, but allow the spirit to take up more residence, more space in our thinking and in our emotions and in our desires. God, I pray you do a mighty work in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm going to close the gathering this morning. 
If you want prayer, come forward. The band will lead us and that leads this song. And if you want to stay and you just want to be in God's presence, please do that. Don't rush off. I believe that God is doing something really deep and meaningful in our lives. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.